Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand, and one more time, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Matt said we've been studying verse by verse for a while. It's actually been since the very first week of January we've been in this study, and we come today to about the midpoint of chapter 4. And uh, you want to mark that, because we're going to put a pin right there and uh, pick back up in August, because this summer, as is our tradition, we're going to study an Old Testament book. And this year, it's one of the minor prophets studied Jonah, I think a year or two ago, another one of the minor prophets. This year it is the prophet Amos. And so I encourage you to go back and read the book of Amos a number of times through and prepare your hearts and minds for our summer study in the Old Testament. Now today's message is entitled Growing Up in Grace. It's taken from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 through 16. Recently I had experience of going to my eye doctor and uh, everything was fine, no change to my nearsighted prescription. But uh, before I was dismissed, my eye doctor said, looking at my chart, are you wearing readers yet? And I said, well, no, I'm not. I can read just fine. And uh, she looked at my chart. She looked back at me and looked at my chart and looked back at me. And finally she says, well, you know you're of the age. <laughs> and I said, I'm well aware I'm of the age, but... Uh, but there's something about growing older and maturing that we resist, don't we? In fact, I think particularly in our culture, it's amazing how we value the new, the novel, and the young. And the consequence, whether intentional or unintentional, is, is that we've developed an almost universal fear of maturity. Uh, that's evidenced by the fact that we spend billions of dollars a year on Botox and surgery and creams and dyes and all those things that give us the appearance of youth. But I think there's something more sinister at play when it comes to our um, disdain for maturity. All the statistics are saying today that young men are leaving the home later than ever before, many times well into their 30s before they move out on their own, sometimes never. <laughs> Marriage rates are declining. The age of first marriage continues to go up, and birth rates throughout the Western world are going down. People are resisting the milestones of growing up. But the Bible teaches that maturity, specifically spiritual maturity, is a good thing. It's not to be run from, it's to be embraced. In fact, spiritual maturity is to be the goal for every born-again believer. Now let's read our text this morning, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4, and we'll be reminded of those truths. Paul writes, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service 
to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, last Sunday we saw that the Lord gives to the church and to individual Christians gifts. Those individual gifts he talks about in verse 7 where he says, to each one. That is, there's no Christian who was left out. Every Christian is given a spiritual gift so that they can bring that gift to bear in the context of the local church for the mutual edification of the body, ultimately to the glory of Christ. But we also saw last week that he also gives corporate gifts, namely leaders, men that he equips to lead the church and to teach the church. Apostles, he said, and prophets in the first century, and then evangelists and pastor teachers who are to shepherd the flock that the Lord entrusts to their care. But their primary purpose, our primary purpose as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, you recall. It's not the job of the pastors to do all the ministry. We are alongside you and we do ministry with you, but our primary task is to equip you to go out into the world and take the gospel and to use your gifts together. And he says to edify, that is to build up the congregation, build up their strength, bring them to a place of maturity. And then he answers the question, how long should we do that? Well, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That is, till every believer is thoroughly saturated with the essentials of the gospel. Until they're the air that we all breathe and our DNA and in, in the cells that uh, we spiritually have. And we saw we're not there yet. In fact, we have individual members at every point of maturity on the continuum, all the way from brand new Christians to great mature prayer warrior saints. And he says, until we attain the knowledge of Christ. He speaks there, remember the Greek word epinosis, to a deep growing intimacy with the Savior. It's not just salvation, but it's growing in our relationship with Christ where we know him in a deeper way all the time. He says, to a mature man, which is really the overarching aim. Every pastor wants every member to grow to spiritual maturity. Now how do you know when you have grown or are growing into spiritual maturity? There are some signs out there in the world to tell you you're getting a little more mature, right? Or growing older at least. Um, when you get a discount at uh, your favorite coffee shop or, or maybe when people start opening doors for you or start referring to you as sir or ma'am. Uh, that's shocking to your system the first time or two that happens. Then it starts to become kind of nice. I remember um, right after I graduated college, I got a job teaching school at a public high school. And we started the school in the fall. I was 22 years old. And at lunchtime, I went down the cafeteria uh, to uh, have lunch with uh, the other teachers. And I went through the the cafeteria line, I got to the end where you're to pay, and the dear lady there charged me at a student rate. 
And I, my conscience got the better of me and said, you know, I'm actually a teacher here. She says, oh, you look like a student. That hasn't happened in a long time, folks. <laughs> because the older you get, the more obvious it is uh, that we're all aging. Um, all of us, though, need as spiritually to, to grow into in, in maturity. And sometimes it's a little more difficult to discern that than spiritually. So what Paul does for us in these verses we're going to study this morning is to um, give us some clues, give us some markers, give us some hallmarks of one who is growing into maturity. So the first point in your outline is this, the benefits of maturity. Look what he says, I believe, in verse 14. He says, as a result. So here's what happens when the spiritual gifts are being brought to bear that we're growing in grace. As a result of maturity, in other words, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemings. Uh, one of the things we know about children is, especially very small children, is that they are easily deceived, right? And, and we as parents sometimes take advantage of that. My, my wife um, accuses me regularly of provoking my children to wrath because I constantly tease them. Just little silly stuff. Uh, by the time they're three years old, we're, we're going to the car. I usually ask one of them if they want to drive. Or um, when I leave the house, I usually put the youngest in charge and that, that sort of thing. Uh, just, just silly stuff. And, but as, as they grow older, they start saying, you're just teasing, aren't you? It takes them a while, though, to start recognizing that sort of thing. And, and of course, there are evil people in the world who prey upon the vulnerability and the gullibility of children, right? We have to protect our children from those who would seek to use their innocence to harm them. Well, that is also true in the context of the church. Jesus warned that there would come after him wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Who are going to pretend to be genuine and from the Lord, but in fact, they sought to deceive. They're really instruments of Satan, and their aim, first and foremost, is to separate innocent, gullible people from their money, and then sometimes even to do worse harm uh, in the local church. So we're to be on the lookout constantly, but how do you get to the point where you can recognize false teachers and those whose motives are not right. Well, it takes discernment. And it takes what? Maturity. That's why if you're a more mature saint, you owe it to the less mature saints to help them to be discerning. Recommend good books to them in place of some of the ones they may have on their shelves. But you do that, of course, always in the context of love, as we'll see in just a moment. And so the first benefit of spiritual maturity is stability. That, that seems to be what is lacking in many young adults today is stability. Stability financially, in their jobs, um, emotionally in, in many cases. And so we know our child is growing and maturing when we start to see them settle down and become more stable. Well, Paul uses this image here of someone who's on a stormy sea and they don't have no anchor. And so they're in this little vessel and they're tossed at the whim of the waves. 
Whereas in juxtaposition, someone who is lashed firmly to something that is substantive stays put no matter what the winds and waves may do, right? Jesus talked about building your house on the firm foundation of the rock, rather on the shifting sands of the philosophies of men. And so we see maturity when someone is stable and they're able to recognize deceptive and false teaching. And let me just say this, why do you think it is that so many of these churches that many of us recognize instantly as false and fake and those false teachers who, who are trying to get in the pocketbook of, of these gullible people, why is it that these congregations and their buildings are full to overflowing every week? It's because we have an epidemic, dear friends, in our churches of biblical illiteracy and a lack of maturity and discernment among our people. And this ought not to be. And there is no shortage in every generation of those who are willing to take advantage uh, of the gullible, the weak, and the immature. In fact, I'm convinced of this truth, that the illiteracy biblically and the spiritual immaturity is a necessity if those churches are to continue to exist. Because if people are truly born again, and if they are growing in grace, they're going to recognize very soon what they're being taught is not the truth, and they're going to abandon those churches in droves. And so it's a necessity not to have these folks grow, whereas a true church, a true pastor, aims at spiritual maturity for everyone of the believers there. Now, he says this, another benefit, if you will, of spiritual maturity is not only stability, it's that we will speak the truth in love. Look at verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love. He's, he's putting that in opposition to those who are deceitful and would seek to do you harm. But as you grow up, you will speak the truth in love. Now, one of the signs of an immature person is they think that as long as they have truth on their side, it doesn't matter how they speak to other people. I often use the example of uh, up in my office, I keep a coat rack. And there I usually keep uh, a, a suit and a couple of ties because you never know what's going to happen during the course of a day if someone passes away or I have to go to a more formal meeting. And so I keep a coat or two and some ties. And, and it often reminds me that what if I came in one day and I was wearing a brand new tie? And my assistant, Wendy, said, Pastor, undoubtedly, that is the ugliest article of clothing in your closet. It is hideous. It's going to embarrass me and the entire staff if you wear that tie to your meeting. Now, on the other hand, if uh, I were to show up in that new tie and she says, you know what, Pastor, um, there's another tie hanging in there on your coat rack that I think would go a little bit better with that coat. Let's go in and see how it matches. Now, she's said the same thing, hasn't she? She said, I hate your tie. But in the first example, she didn't say it with love, right? The second one, she did. Which one of those ways do you think I'm going to be more receptive to? Well, like all of you, the second, of course. Well, as Christians, we have some hard truths to say, and we never need to back down. We never need to be cowardly about those truths, but we always ought to speak the truth in love. Spurgeon said we should never preach about hell without a tear in our eye, right? 
We should never take any joy when we talk about the Lord's judgment coming against uh, lost people. It ought to break our hearts. And so uh, as a good sign that you're growing in maturity is that you preach the truth, but you do so with an attitude of love. Now, the second thing we see here is the aim of maturity. What are we aiming at when we talk about growth in sanctification? Well, it's nothing more or less than complete and total submission to all of Christ's will. Look what he says, verse 15 again. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Underline the word all. Your version may say every. It means the same thing. In other words, there should not be any area of our life that's off limits to the Lordship of Jesus. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So many times I hear people say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning, love, joy, and peace, all those fruits, plural, really, are part of, of one picture. That in every one of those areas we're making progress and growing up. This is exactly what he says here, that all of us in every aspect are growing unto our head, even Christ. So the aim of maturity, what is the bigger picture, is that all of us in every aspect are becoming more like Christ in every way. We're growing up into all aspects into Christ. Sometimes if you have a young man in your home and someone will say, how much has he grown? And you might say, well, if he ever grows into his feet, he's going to be a giant, right? Because he keeps outgrowing his, his tennis shoes. This is a similar thing Paul is saying here, is that the church is to grow up and into its head. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We're all component parts of the body, right? Some are hands, some are eyes, some are feet. But there's only one part of the body that is perfect in every way. And what part is that? It's the head because Jesus is the head. Now our goal is to grow up into the head and be as much like the head and proportional to the head as, as we can possibly be. The head, Jesus, is the seat of authority and power. All of the other parts are submissive to it. That's true in a human body, isn't it? Because the head houses what? The brain. And the brain is the part of the body that allows us to move to feel, to smell, to hear, to walk, to swim, to drive, to do all of those things the body coordinates, it's because of the power, the authority that it's given through the head. And that, of course, is the beautiful metaphor of the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and the head directs the activities of the component parts, the hand, the feet, the eyes, the members of the church. So thirdly, the source of Christian maturity then is none other than Christ himself. This is kind of hard to understand, but it's really not. We think of it this way. If I were to ask you, what is the cause, what is the source of your salvation, what would you say? It's Christ, right? Well, in a similar way, not only is Christ the, the cause, the source, the reason for your salvation, Christ is the cause, the source for your sanctification. It's his power through which we can grow in grace. Look what he says, from whom 
Speaking of Jesus in verse 16, from whom the whole body. Now who's the whole body? Well, that's the church. I take it to be the, the church big C. We talk about the big C and the little C of, of the word church. The big C church means every Christian that's ever lived from every period of time. So one day up in glory, we're gonna be gathered with the whole church, right? Christians that, all Christians that have ever existed from every time and place. The little C means the local church that, that you belong to. And really both are encompassed when he says the whole body, right? Um, every member of the body grows up into Christ and have their authority and their direction from the head. He says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, what in the world is that saying? Very simple, here's what it's saying. Here is how a church becomes mature. You ready for this? How does a church become mature? When every member of the church becomes mature. Right? So if you are resisting maturity, you're not ready for your readers yet. You want to stay in your parents' basement spiritually forever. It's not just affecting you, it's affecting every other member of the church. When you're not studying the word, when you're not committed to church attendance, when, when you're not discipling other people, when you're not devoted to prayer, when you're held back spiritually, you are affecting the spiritual progress of the entire church. So the answer to the question, how does a church, by the way, do you want First Baptist Church of Keller to grow in maturity? Here's what you can do. You grow into maturity. And when every believer here grows into maturity, then we will have a mature church. Well, what will it look like? How will we recognize it if it were to happen? Well, I just jotted down five or six things here. You can probably think of others. Here's how I recognize when there's maturity happening in our church. For one, every believer is exercising his or her gifts for the edification of every other believer. That is, there's not one person who hasn't identified and is using their spiritual gift to build up the body and for the mutual benefit of every other believer. Guess what? We're not there yet. We're not. And there's ways in which all of us fail at this point, but there are some members of our church, as, as best I can tell, I'm not the Lord, really don't have a lot of interest in exercising their gifts. So many people view the church, not necessarily here, but in the church big C, as sort of a service industry to them. I can't tell you how many homes I visit in of prospective members and, and, and they want to know what, what's your church got for me? Because I visited this other church and here's what they have. How do you compare? And for a few years in ministry, I felt like a used car salesman. Right? I'll tell you, you come down to our church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put your kids in a quality program and we're going to feed them a healthy snack and uh, we're going to have, what kind of music do you like? Tell us what kind of music you like and we'll play it, right? And so, what have I got to do to get you in this car? What have I got to do to get you in this church? Brothers and sisters, that's not how a church comes together. When someone comes now, and they say, we're thinking about joining your church, my first question to them is, how are you going to serve? What's your spiritual gift? What, what, why would the Lord bring you here to, to add to us what we need to better 
serve him. And that's how you ought to view a church. And when the Lord transfers your job out to another state, the first thing you ought to do is find a good church. I think some people have the, the misplaced um, notion that they're being unfaithful to First Baptist Church of Keller when they move to Atlanta and they, they don't join another church. No. Join another church and go to work there. Use your gift in the geographic location the Lord puts you for His glory. And then the Lord will send other people here to do to those things that are lacking. And so the church is not a service industry. A church is a place, should be, where multiplied groups of people who have various types of gifts come together to mutually edify one another, ultimately for the glory of Christ. So a church is mature in which every believer is exercising his or her gifts. The church is also mature who every member considers every other member more important than themselves. He speaks there of humility. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 12. Not thinking more highly than ourselves than we ought to think. It's amazing how, how much these verses speaking of our relationships in the church are going to mirror what Paul says in the next chapter about marriage. How we're to mutually submit to one another in marriage. How husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, putting her needs before his own as a habitual way of life. Well, that's not only to be viewed in marriage, that's to be viewed in the church. Every person is to seek the best interest of every other person. I'll tell you another sign of obvious maturity is when every one of us are pursuing unity and peace rather than demanding our own rights and personal preferences. Many of us in this congregation came from other places and have been members of other churches, many Baptist churches as I have. And we have been in churches that had a strong commitment to unity and putting others' needs first and then some of us have come from some very different places where every member seemingly came to every business meeting with a personal agenda and an ax to grind, inflexible, ready to stand their ground, to demand their own way and their own rights no matter how small of an issue. And you can remember the tension that was constantly in the air and the church was not able to have true fellowship because people were constantly butting heads all the time and I'm so grateful to God that I cannot remember in my 16 years here a unkind word being spoken in a business meeting or a deacon's meeting here. So I want to encourage your heart with this. I have observed in the 16 years that I've been here and anecdotally going back long before that how so many in this congregation have grown in grace, have made wonderful progress in sanctification. I've observed it as your pastor. I'm not just saying that. As I look out here today, I'm so thankful for some of you who I have seen make incredible progress in sanctification as you've committed to the study of the Word and to prayer and to fellowship with, with the saints. But can we all agree we haven't arrived yet, right? We've got a long way to go. Thank the Lord we're not what we used to be. But we have a long way to go. And, and that will always be. Because as we said last week, if, if we're doing right, the Lord's going to be adding baby Christians to us all the time, right? And we can't expect a baby Christian to be a mature Christian, but we can have the expectation 
that they're going to grow and that by the time they leave here, the time the Lord calls them home, they are going to grow into maturity. And I'm so grateful that in, in large measure, that is the testimony and, and, and I would say the reputation of all of you. As I travel to, to meetings within the state and even to national meetings sometimes, people say, where do you serve? I'll say First Baptist Church of Texas. They know you. They know your reputation. You love missions. You'll go anywhere with the gospel. You have a, a reputation of insistence upon unity. And, and our deacons have that great reputation in, in our community. And thanks, aren't you grateful for that? May it always be, but it will not always be if we don't, every one of us, commit to exercising our spiritual gift for the mutual edification, edification of the body if we don't all commit to putting the needs of the other person and preferences of the other person ahead of our own, if, if all of us won't commit to not always demanding our own rights, then Satan can have a foothold here. But, but the final evidence is there will be doctrinal stability. Every member will know the gospel, be able to communicate it clearly, and just as importantly, every member will be able to spot false doctrine immediately. And, and what, the way I will know that has happened is that when I go to your home on a visit, I won't be embarrassed by the theological book you've got on your coffee table. And I won't be upset by the Facebook post of some quote of some false teacher that you admire. That doesn't happen often, but it happens sometimes. And it is heartbreaking to every pastor worth his salt to know that some people who come week after week are not thriving. They're, ma they're, they're not making progress in sanctification. They're easy prey and easy picking for those who would seek to deceive them, to trick them, and leave them in spiritual infancy. Brothers and sisters, will we commit together this morning that we're going to love one another not to allow one another to stay in that state. That we're going to love one another to pray for one another and to hold one another accountable, not just to the things that we do, but to what we believe. Because what we believe very soon will be made evident by what we do. Will we commit together that all of us are not going to only value maturity. We're going to do everything in our power to grow into maturity as the Lord helps us. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Father, I, I thank you for the wonderful progress in sanctification. I have seen so many hundreds of individuals in this church make in recent years. And Father, I've seen that collective progress uh, manifest in, in our corporate body. Thank you for that, Lord. We don't take that lightly, but we also know that even right here where we live, there are countless numbers of deceivers and false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing that would seek uh, to, to get a stronghold here, to divide where there is unity, to bring tension where there is none. Father, guard our hearts from that. Grow us all up into mature, discerning Christian. And then, Father, when we need to speak the truth, help us to do so in love. 
Help us to have that heart of compassion for one another and, and for a lost and a dying world. Father, I pray that you would continue to add to this fellowship uh, those who can serve here. And Lord, we know every summer you, you take people out and you send them to, to new cities and with their jobs. And Lord, I pray for everyone who will be transferred out of our church this year that they would commit to finding a Bible teaching and gospel proclaiming church to be a part of where they can exercise their gift wherever they live. Father, help us not to be um, obsessed with numbers. Help us, Lord, to, to seek the health and the spiritual maturity of, of every believer. And then, Lord, if you choose to add numerically to that, we'll thank you for that. And uh, we'll do our very best that no person would, would be able to stay in a place of immaturity very long here. Help us to love one another so much that will hold each other accountable to that. And we pray it now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.